Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and if you've not listened to this podcast before, don't worry. The idea, like the host, is very simple. I ask my guests to reveal the five things from their life they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. They can pick anything from any time in their life of any nature, something that may seem insignificant to others, but to them is precious. They choose four such things, and also one thing they find embarrassing, annoying, or would just like to forget. Something they'd be pleased to bury deep in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the radio presenter, comedian, magician, and drummer, Sean Keaveney. Sean presented The Breakfast Show on BBC Radio 6 Music for 11 years, and The Afternoon Show for a further three years. He started his radio career on XFM London and has also substituted for a range of presenters on BBC Radio 2, including Lisa Tarbuck and currently Johnny Walker. Lucky him. He has his own podcast called Creative Cul-de-Sac about people's unrealised ideas. Yep, we've all been down that cul-de-sac. His book, R2-D2 Lives in Preston, is a compilation of little-known facts relating to various towns throughout the United Kingdom, advised by listeners to his radio show in a feature entitled Toast the Nation. So here is Sean Keaveney and the things he'd want to put in his time capsule. And this episode comes with my very special thanks to Sean, as this episode was recorded on the last day before Christmas, when anyone actually works. Sean could have been in a pub. Instead, he chatted to me. I hope you enjoy our chat. Cheers. What do you mean I'm in the pub now? I'm not. I got that, I got that, I got that. (laughs) Hiya, Sean. Michael, my word. What a palaver. It's been a joy, I can't (laughs) tell you. We've seen each other through COVID. We've had terrible colds. You've had job changes. 
Oh. It's the takeover from Johnny Walker. What a brilliant thing to do. I am thrilled, man. I mean, it's like a childhood sort of dream come true, isn't it? For me, without question, it's really um, like, I mean, you, you as a performer, as a writer, as an actor, you know, you get to w- sort of work for somebody or work with somebody or perhaps even stand in the shoes of somebody yeah. who you've adored since you first started doing your thing. Mm. It's incredible, you know. So, yeah, in the moccasins of Johnny Walker. <laughs> I, that's the apotheosis of my career right there, I think. <laughs> that's the title of your autobiography, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. F-O. <laughs> I did once literally stand in the shoes of somebody like that. In fact, the very first professional play I did, they gave me a pair of boots to wear, and inside it, it had the label RSC Petro Tool. No. Yeah. That's mind-blowing. Isn't it? Well, first of all, that we've got the same size feet. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, that's the next question. What size feet are you, Michael? I'm Peter O'Toole. <laughs> I mean, I'm get, guessing a 10. It's a 9. A 9? You'd think Peter O'Toole would have bigger feet, wouldn't it? Or maybe he just had a tight pair. You know? <laughs> Kept him on his toes, literally. <laughs> but, yeah, how thrilling. I can't wait to listen, actually. I, I mean, I love Johnny Walker. I love listening to Johnny Walker. He's got the extraordinary sort of relaxed style about him still, hasn't he? He's got that ineffable thing, that uh, indefinable thing that that a broadcaster needs to be a legendary one, which is, Mm. A, he's got the voice that you can't get anywhere near, you know, like Terry had and all these people, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but he has, like you say, he's got the demeanour. And he's Mm. got that, there's a little bit of West Coast in in Johnny. You know, he's (laughs) sort of, yes, he's from, I don't know where he's from originally, London, possibly, or the home counties, I don't know. But because he lived in San Francisco for a while and he, you know, lived in America for a long time and he was... He was a, in the hippie scene and all that. He has that kind of, you know, there's a little transatlantic thing that throws in sometimes and it makes you feel like you're in Laurel Canyon in 1972. <laughs> that's where he is. Yeah, yeah, right up there, that's where he is. And I want to be there, you know. I always imagine that he still wears flares. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Johnny, all the way. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of my great memories of I first came to London like putting the dick in Dick Whittington in uh, <laughs> the year 2000, end of the year 2000 and stuff. And and I, I had this terrible shift. I had the graveyard shift on London's 104.9 XFM. And it was the <laughs> loneliest time ever. You know, I, I was I was in this house share. My brother was with us for a little bit and then he, he worked out that this was depressing. So he moved back up north. And then it was just, for ages, it seemed like it was just me in London in the middle of the night. And I, I was away from all my people, you know. And it was the radio that got me through that. And Johnny was on Radio 2 Drive Time at that time. So he was like my breakfast show. I'd sort of wake <laughs> up at about 2.30 in the afternoon and pop that on. And Johnny would be on and with Sally Traffic and stuff. And always right in the world. And in mm. the mornings, it was Danny Baker on BBC London. Uh, with his crew of, of geniuses. And it's like that radio doesn't, it does not get any better than that for me. No. He's, he's the, um, it's an old fashioned thing in a way, isn't it? He's a raconteur. He's a conversationalist. Mm-hmm. I, and it, I don't know how, how much of a thing that is anymore. You know, you, but everything's condensed into 288 very hot, horrible characters now on social yeah. media, really. That's to just to be that kind of... The, how many people do we know? How many celebrities, in inverted commas, or, or for, you know, sort of well-known people do we know who would be a great guest 
on Parkinson in 1975 now. You know, I don't think there are that many of them left, really. You know? No. He's kind of one of those people, really. Yes, he absolutely is. And it's interesting when you do these programmes, I do this, and then I go back and listen to it carefully, you know, and we, we, we take great care over them. You start to analyse people's style. And Danny is not what you think. You think, well, there's a great raconteur, and he really is. Mm. But he has all sorts of habits and things that he does that really, if you if you said that's how you would decide to be a raconteur, they're wrong. Yeah. He interrupts himself all the time. He hesitates. He goes back on himself. He jumps about all over the place. He starts a story, stops, start another one, and then goes, I didn't finish the thing about, and he, you know, but yes. it's, a, it's fascinating. It's just that sort of um, the butterfly mind. My, my yeah. son's got, he got diagnosed with ADHD, my eldest, and mm. then through that diagnosis, I worked out that I had a version as well. So I, I'm I'm just starting my ADD journey, Michael. Right. Which unfortunately, I don't have the H. I don't have the hyperactivity <laughs> or the hyperfocus. I'm inattentive ADD. Uh, so you, I I have what they describe as the butterfly mind. You know, mm-hmm. it just sort of floats around. That's why I'm I'm good at radio because I'm I'm really brilliant. I can give you. 90 seconds of the best content that you could ever want. I could give you that four times a day. But what I can't do is write a novel. What I can't do is write a sitcom. Can't do any of that shit. No. So, you know, th- th- this is what I'm good at, is little tiny spurts of decent content, and then I'm going to have a lie down. It's a lovely thing to have, though. My grandson is is autistic, and he has that thing that if you spark him off with the right subject matter, he will talk fluently and incredibly knowledgeably about it yeah. for about four hours. Yeah, we all have. I, I do. I firmly believe that in in a hundred years or something, it will be like there will just be a map of the human mind, like at the seven hundred and sixteen different spectrums, and we're all on one. You know, yeah. we've all got our own one. You know that that we're all that some of us are on, and it's just it's just that neurodivergent thing, isn't it? You start to learn about it, and you realise it's actually a gift a lot of the time, mm. a pain in the ass as well. You know, <laughs> but you do also discover, and I think this is um, people are always going on about how they how they object to social media, but I think you discover through social media that if you think or you've been told all your life you're a bit of a weirdo. You only ever talk about that, you know. You're you're obsessed with Doctor Who. Or you're obsessed yeah. with buttons or whatever it is. You will find a bunch of other people who are exactly the same yeah. and think, "Hang on, I'm not alone here." It's such a weird thing, isn't it? So, if, as we speak, I'm I've accidentally uh, gotten myself sort of removed off Twitter because, and it's something <laughs> to do with my two step authentication. I haven't said anything terrible. I've not been cancelled yet. But I can't go on it. I've not been on it for like five days. <laughs> and, and I realise how, however much I moan about it and Elon Musk and, you, you know, and, and there's the bin fire that is social media and everybody arguing, that you miss the great advantages of it as well. Of yeah. Connectivity of the people that you, you, you know, the communities that, that are, that do serve you and that are really supportive and lovely. And you, 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 I realised, you know, God, if this was a permanent thing, I don't really know what I'd do in the modern world. You know, that that's how do, how else do I reach my actual audience, you know? I mean, yeah. I, 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 could, I could speak to my mum and dad and my, 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 my friends and family, but beyond that, social media has become this, it's a weird thing, isn't it? It's necessary and it can be awful and it can be a great gift as well. Well, I think you can make it what you want it to be to an extent. I think if you engage in the stuff that is awful on it, 
you just encourage it. Yeah. So I tend to ignore it. And that may seem as if I'm stepping away from it. I ought to be engaging it or, in fact, fighting it. But I think you fight it by ignoring it. Yes, that's really true. The, the power is all lies in the tension now, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, and that's what the attention, the multi-trillion dollar attention industry, that's what it's all about, isn't yeah. it? And so you're absolutely right. The, a great, powerful thing to do is withdraw your attention from something. Yeah, <laughs> Piers Morgan, for instance, you know. <laughs> yeah, quite. If people didn't react to anything he said, he would not be employed. The Jeremy Clarkson's of this world. Jeremy Clarkson says these things in order to encourage that sort of reaction. He will not be... Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe I will bury Jeremy. We'll see. <laughs> I'll have a think about that. You could use one of his diggers. <laughs> <laughs> the irony. Oh, I'll televise um, that. People would definitely pay-per-view that one. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. So, well, let's talk then about the things that you want to put into a time capsule. Hmm. Well, so to get this right, so it could be anything, could it? It could be... Absolutely anything, yeah. A bit like that sort of... Um, so it could be a geographical location, it could be a film, it could be a person, it could be... It could be ephemeral or it could be permanent. It's one of those things. It could be a fleeting thing, like a smell. Mm. Oh, that! Well, I wish you hadn't said that now, because that's... <laughs> okay, well, hmm, Jeremy Clarkson... <laughs> And smells. I have to consider this now. I might change as I go along. Well, the first thing I'm going to say to put in the time capsule is a very timely thing. But I think I'll put the film Home Alone in to a time capsule. (laughs) And this is an obvious, as I say, thing to do. Nobody else has chosen it. Nobody's chosen it. Yeah. Oh, so it is relatively original. It's a great choice. You know, these are all positive and lovely things that we want to preserve, aren't they? Mm. Um, that's the way I'm seeing it. So, um, if, obviously, for the 17 people that don't know, it's uh, I think a 1990 film. Uh, was that I was 18, I suppose. The, in fact, the year that came out in the cinemas in 1990, I, what I do remember, and I'll say this right now, Michael, I've got a terrible memory, hmm. which is almost, which I think is almost a physiological, almost um, a, a, a sort of medical thing, and it's something to do with the ADD. You just can't retain information, and a lot of it just. It's like my brain is on, instead of pressing record and play, it's just whirring along on play, you know. <laughs> don't t- I don't yeah. remember a lot. But what I do remember about 1990 was, for Christmas, I got this incredible, I thought I looked so great at the time. I was 18, and it was a brown suede jacket, oh. which I swanned around Lee Town Centre in, and went, you know, going to the pubs. Yeah. Thinking that, I, look, I don't know, I thought I looked like a sort of like a 70s film cop. <laughs> um, David Soul, yeah, yeah. <laughs> David Soul, David R Soul is what probably what I looked like. I don't know what his middle name was, um, but when, but that was the year that this came out, and it didn't mean anything to me as a film, of course, until I had my own kids and um, my two older boys, fourteen and eleven now. From them being around, I'd say like four and one, you know, mm. you're sort of very young. It it very quickly became a a, a tradition at Christmas that we would watch like a look like millions and millions of other people yeah home alone and it, it, you know we i i'm a sort of divorced dad as well so you know the over the the last decade or so christmas it can be a bit of a challenge that can't it when you're all trying to reconnect and stuff or or work out your christmas you know when are the kids going to be when are they going to be then but home alone is like a sort of emollient it's sort of Hmm. brings us all together and so even when you've got a a grumpy teenager who doesn't really want to hang out with you and you've got the 11 to 12 year old who's becoming that 
and can't stand his brother because his brother's a pain in the ass. And, <laughs> and now we've got our, our littlest uh, girl, you know, who's just three. And my wife, who's an actor, you, you know, you can't, you can hardly watch any films with my wife because, you know, it's like everything's a critique. But something like Home Alone, it's just one of those things. It just brings all the generations together. It's it's like a cartoon in a film. So the three-year-old gets it. And, and it just screams Christmas to me. And Christmas isn't always the happiest time of the year. And I think the way things are at the moment in this country, your heart's always heavy. You look around and you see all the people that are suffering, all the people that are struggling and haven't got what you've got. And it just is like a pain in your chest. You can't, it's not like when I was 18 and Christmas was just an unalloyed joy. And mm. I didn't, I was so innocent. I didn't know that other people had difficult times. So there's all that heaviness. But then you, you can put something like Home Alone on and it just takes all that away. I just mm. think that's so beautiful, you know. It is a beautiful film, isn't it? There are so many elements of it that are extraordinary, I think. First of all, though, it takes a long time to get going, that film. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how it holds the attention of children who we're told nowadays wouldn't have the attention span for that. They're used to things happening instantly. They want instant entertainment. And yet, if you put that on for children, five, six, seven, as you say, up to 14, they'll wait. Yeah. They know something great is coming. That's a really good point. It doesn't, it's right, that sort of last quarter of the, the last third of the film in a way, isn't it? When it gets really cartoony, when, you know, when uh, the, the criminals turn up. Yeah. And then you've got that brilliant, and, and in my memory, that's the whole film, the slapstick bit. But as you say, it's just a little section, really. Yeah. But yeah, you've got all that time and all that, the opening sequence. And and, and it's so obvious, like watching, especially the my boys watching it, what a mischievous little git Kevin is, <laughs> and, and I, I'm, I'm embarrassed watching it because I've taught, I've said stuff like that to my kids, you know, and they've been a real yeah. pain in the backside. You, ah, <laughs> uh, God, do you ruin? Not that I ever do that. I don't get to pull stuff like that off because I'm just not very authoritative, you know. But still, you know, I could be giving them a right or rollicking for something, and and so they really, you can see how much they identify with with Kevin, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and even even my youngest, she's three years old, and she watched it for the first time a few days ago, and and she was sort of like. Is he is he on his own? Where has his mummy and daddy gone on holiday without him? You know, and she's like, it's mind blown. Imagine that. Yeah. You know, the the the, the isolation, the terror, you know. He's, <laughs> but for the lads, it's like the ultimate fantasy, isn't it? It is certainly a thing that boys like better, I think. Uh, because also, I remember my son watching that for the first time. And he then, we, we couldn't walk around the house. It was impossible. He, he set up traps and trip wires and every, they were everywhere. <laughs> Did he actually emulate it? Yeah. I bet, I bet that was a real thing in, in like when it came out, you know, like the, the, the Christian right of America. <laughs> this terrible, ungodly film is encouraging children to act against their parents in violent ways. You can imagine it, can't you? Yeah, I can. But then at the same time, you could turn around and say to them, but look at the moment where he sees this really scary neighbour. Yeah. And, you know, the frightening man with the snow shovel, who's terrifying, and the way that that story turns towards the end. That out yeah. of that wonderful slapstick, silly movie, you get not only the brilliant moment of his mum coming home yeah. and finding him, but also then him seeing that man meet his child for the first time. I can't watch those moments without crying. I think they're just beautiful. Well, and you're talking about a turn to the lacrimose. <laughs> I also made the kids watch Planes, Trains and Automobiles a couple of days uh -huh. ago, which is another one. 
It always yeah. makes me cry. <laughs> and there's such a colossal heart in, in the middle of it, isn't there? And it, in that one, it's obviously it's John Candy, who's just like a heart on a stick, isn't he? Yeah. And he's, you know, when it, you realise towards the end that he's been talking about his wife all the way around this trip and his wife died eight years ago and that's me done. Mm. And so... It's that John. It's John Hughes, isn't it? Is, is that right? The director who wrote. Is it that? right? I, I, yeah. I think he did both of those films. I well, it's why John Candy's is in both. I think he does exactly yeah. the same thing. He's, he plays that role of the sort of silly man that you think is going to be a pain, That's but actually right. turns out to be a saint. Yeah. That's it. Mm. Some people's faces are. It, he's got that thing that he's. He's got like a bit of Stan and Ollie in him. <laughs> he's got that, that thing where he's got pure comedy and pure heart of gold as well, and in the eyes and stuff. And you can't, you can't, act, you can't act that really, can you? It's just your soul coming out of your, of of, of your, you know, your Absolutely, eyes. Absolutely, yeah. It's just so beautiful to watch that. I wish he were alive to hear you say he's got a bit <sighs> of Stan and Ollie in him. That's yeah. the most fantastic tribute anybody could ever have. That's true, actually. But I really put him on that mantle as a mm. physical. Uh, an emotional comedian, John Candy. I just think, and, and I wouldn't say that he was underrated. I don't think he was. I think he no. was rated for for the genius that he was. I could have put John in as well. Actually, <laughs> we, well, he's in the movie, so we'll yeah. accept that going in as well. That's good. Okay. Yeah, Home Alone. How fantastic! So much so that they even work when you go Home Alone two, Home Alone three. You you just they sort of linger, don't they? I mean, Home Alone two, I think, is a good film. It, yeah, it's still good then, isn't it? It's a, then it gets a bit like The Godfather, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, the first two, absolutely incredible. And then, of course, inevitably, physics takes over and things yeah. get worse. The only thing wrong with Home Alone 2 is, of course, it's got Donald Trump in it. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, he, he cropped up everywhere, that tool, didn't he? Yes. Back in the just. day. Oh, dear. Thinking that was as famous as he was going to get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Little did we know. If only. Anyway, brilliant. Let's put Home Alone in. That's your first thing. Okay, let's find out what your second thing would be, Sean. Well, actually, let's get this out of the way because this is Christmas-related as well. Okay, great. So, um, but again, apologies. When you're listening to this on, on January the 19th, <laughs> and you're thinking, Sean, why are you talking about Christmas again, mate? <laughs> or in the middle of the summer, lying on a beach. Yes. Yeah. It's the nature it's... of podcasts. People can listen anytime they like. That's true, of course. So, yes, enjoy this on September the 9th. Um, <laughs> but it, actually, this this is sort of floats above the idea of Christmas. This is Christmas 1991 um, at my mum and dad's house. Mm. Um, and and what I've, I've sort of chosen this as a concept really to to insert and to preserve forever, because it was a it wasn't just that year. My parents' house, and they're still in it now. And look, thankfully, they're both still very much alive and kicking. But as as kids, from my being about sixteen, I started to collect this crew of friends at school, and then sixth form, and then beyond, and. Um, Unofficially, my mum and dad's house became our HQ, really, hmm. for all kinds of different reasons. But most because my mum and dad were quite like young parents and they encouraged it. We just started to hang out at my mum and dad's. And it got to such a point that when I was in sixth form and, and then when I was at uni and back at, back at home, because they couldn't get rid of me for a long time, you know, pe- people would just, some of my friends would just let themselves in, come, <laughs> come into the kitchen, make a couple of cups of tea, Come upstairs, kick my bedroom door open. Are you not awake yet? Yeah, the broom. All right, Ian. All right, Banksy. You know, and it was this wonderful. When I look back at it, what an absolute privilege it was 
it was like a my mum and dad's youth club and they would let us hang out in the back room and it was like your mate's coming round after the pub tonight all right do you want us to come and get you from lee he's like no it's only a 10 minute walk mum so it's fine and and we come back and we make brews and the biscuits out and the dog would be barking at everybody and then we watch endless VHS videos and it would always be Led Zeppelin 1969, the best of Blondie, you know, <laughs> all this stuff. And we we just sit there wrapped in a, you know, in attention. Sometimes we'd have band practices. It was amazing. And then at Christmas, there was this incredible spell from about 1988 through to about the end of the 90s, where Christmas Day was the biggest party you've ever seen at my mum and dad's house. And all the relatives and all the friends would turn up. And it would be like, it's only a little semi-detached house in Lee, you know. It's not very big at all. But there'd be like 40 people in there. <laughs> and then and then at about two o'clock in the morning, when everybody was absolutely plastered, my granddad would, he'd start doing his songs, you know. <laughs> oh, Salome, Salome, <laughs> you should see Salome. And we'd sing along with him. And then my mum, you know, she very rarely would drink, but on Christmas she would. And she would, Sean, get the guitars out. Play me wonderful tonight by Eric Clapton. And then that would be it. And then the guitars would come out and we'd all be da da da. And it was, it was just, it, we used to, when the royal family came out, that uh, the, the incredible Carolina Hearn, Craig Cash uh, television program. Uh, I remember my second ever girlfriend, Karen, she was from Reading, you know. Mm. She came up for one of these experiences and just <laughs> couldn't believe what she was seeing. She was like, this is mind-blowing. I mean, how does this even happen, you know? And then we watched The Royal Family for the first time and she was like, I've already seen this. this <laughs> That's like your house, house, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was like a bit like that. So that is, I just want to keep that, encapsulate it and and and, and preserve it forever because it was a beautiful beautiful time and we can uh, still kind of do that we still we're amazing our families and friends are still all kind of there you know we, we still live near each other and we, we've got that that bosom of home and, and i i only realized in the last few years what a privilege that is and how very few people have that really yes absolutely that's what i want to stick in there brilliant isn't it odd the way that people well i'm talking about myself really that you become embarrassed by the size of the rooms. You start saying, oh, we can't have a big party because everybody will be crammed in and it'll be in different rooms. And in mm. fact, those parties were the best. Yeah. Why is it you feel that you have to have, you know, hire a hall or everybody yeah. has to be catered for or you need people walking around with um, canopy? When does that get into your head that, in fact, it's not a good idea to just say to people, do you want to come around my house? Yeah. Bring a bottle. Exactly. It's so true. We've We've done that. We've got... A lovely house in northwest London. You know, we're very, we're blessed to have it. Christ knows, I hope we can carry on paying the pig in mortgage. Because <laughs> you know what that's like as as a peripatetic self-employed person. Yeah. You're always panicking about that. But it, but you're right, we, we're the same. We're like, we can't we can't invite people around. It's too small. There's not enough floor space. I mean, where is everybody going to sit? But yeah, sometimes just everybody just piles in and makes the best of it, don't they? And it's yeah. lovely when you do that. Well, they certainly did then. And you certainly did when you were younger. You didn't give a damn about those things. It was the getting together that was important. Yeah. And that's absolutely what you're remembering. The idea that you couldn't have people of different generations in the same yeah. room together. You know, oh, we won't get on. They'll be embarrassing or the, the kids will feel out of place. No, not at all. Why would they? Oh, God, they loved it. And we loved it as kids. You know, one of my other favourite memories is that my granddad, my dad's dad, he lost my nana back in the 80s and... and 
you know, he was a lonely guy and very, very obviously in, in, lived in grief really for the rest of his life. But, but also he was this incredible character. He used to run the local Catholic club. And as soon as me and all my mates turned 18, he made us out little membership cards in it. And we would always start our nights off at the Catholic club because it was like a pound a pint. <laughs> and we'd get, you know, off we would go. But, and he ended up moving moving into a bungalow right near us, yeah. my mum and dad's house. And it, it was on the route home from the centre of town back to my mum and dad's. And um, he called it Sodom Hall, Sodom Hall, Sodom Hall. <laughs> Sodom being one of his uh, great catchphrases, you know. Yeah. Oh, bugger them, Sodom. <laughs> Who do they think they are? Bugger them. Uh, but also the idea of this this palace of, uh, of, of ill repute. Yes. And, and the light would be on and you'd be walking past at one o'clock in the morning or something. And if the light was on, you had to go in. You know? <laughs> you'd knock on the door and he'd be oh, all right, come in. What do you want? Whiskey, brandy, got some Guinness, and then that'd be another three hours. Brilliant. Um, and the revelry was just, it was like that good old Irish family thing, that cliche, it was that was what it was like. Mm. My uncle Terry used to sit there. He was, you know, maybe in his 60s at this point, and we would have been in our 20s, and we'd go around, and there was one particular night where he'd lost his front tooth it dropped out somehow, right? <laughs> it was just, again, like that Laurel and Hardy thing. Where, I don't know if you remember, there's a, there's a Laurel and Hardy sketch in one of the films where they're, I think they're in jail and, and Stan Laurel's lost his front tooth and he keeps whistling by accident. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and he's winding up all the other inmates by accident and he's going to get killed. And that's what my Uncle Terry was doing. He kept whistling by accident. But he was very earnest, very pissed going through his repertoire of songs. Yeah. But he was so drunk, he couldn't, A, he couldn't really hit the notes, and B, he kept whistling through his tooth. And we had to just sit there as his audience in this tiny room, trying not to piss ourselves, because it was so, so funny. It was like it was like the best comedy sketch you've ever seen, you know. With me, Auntie Margaret, sitting next to him, like, in rapt attention, like, look, when, when my Auntie Margaret looked at my Uncle Terry, even when he was in his 70s, it was like Priscilla looking at Elvis. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. The years melted away. She was just, mm. this is my prince. Even with his missing tooth, smashed <laughs> on brandy, not quite in the notes, you know. But it was like, it was a, it was a rich tapestry, Michael. That's what it was. Yeah, it certainly sounds it. So get the guitars out. Now, there's a phrase I'm going to go back to. because yeah. uh, Did I read somewhere that you've been in a band since then? Oh, Are yeah. You, is that the same oh. band? Yeah. I mean, we are, don't ask why we're called Mosque. It, it's just weird. Uh, I think it actually goes back to 1987 when we were first practicing and my uncle Martin was in the band, Martin Ormrod. And uh, I think we were playing darts and he had MO on one side of the dartboard and I had SK. And I think we thought, oh, it was cold. we'll call the band Mosque. And then we, we changed the, the spelling to the Temple of Worship. Yeah. And then it was like, it's a weird name for a band. But anyway, mm. it didn't matter because nobody's ever heard us and that's the way that we intend to keep it because we actually we actually were sort of all right you know we, we, we've written some quite good songs and but we don't care we don't want to be of course I remember I remember the moment when I was 24 I'd just finished uni and uh, we, we were plying our wares with this demo tape of these four songs that we were quite proud of hmm. and we kept we kept very innocently sending the tapes off to the major record companies thinking that's how you get a record deal yeah and of course we were disappointed and surprised when nobody wrote back <laughs> and it, it took me until i was 24 to to go you're not going to be a rock star Shimon. you're going to have to have a plan b and and that was when I started to think about radio, you know, like in general radio, I, I, I had an inclination that I wanted to do something in radio 
And I, the other thing I vaguely remember is thinking to myself, and this is an ADD trait, you can't think into the future very easily. You can't future project yourself. Mm. You sort of bumble along in the present. But the one thing about the future I could imagine was, I bet it would be quite nice to make a living in the radio industry, you know, because I used to love that as a kid. We used to have tape recorders and we used to like do little, you know, pretend things off the, the telly and stuff, you know, yeah. and interview each other and that. And so I got a job as a radio copywriter and then I slowly took the sideways step into presenting and the rest is not history. So, <laughs> you know, that, but yeah, the guitar has always been paramount to me. Like, I've got loads of them. They're all up the walls. They're all under the beds. Um, about once a year, I get the itch. Mm. I, I don't think about it for like 11 months. And then all of a sudden I'm on reverb.com looking at Fender Strats or Cretches. <laughs> and my wife's like, you're not buying another, you're not buying it. Where are we going to put another guitar? So I'm going to sell one. Then I'm going to buy, you know. So yeah, I, the wood, the sound, the reverberation, the lacquers, the smell that you open a case and the, the way it smells. I still remember the smell of my first ever guitar. It's just unbelievably, for people who are obsessed with, with music and with, with specifically with an instrument, they'll understand this. It's intoxicating when you're in love with an instrument like that. In mm. fact, hang on. Well, you, the, the listeners won't be able to see this, but... Oh, that's a beauty. This is my latest acquisition, right? This is a, a, a this is a, a 1957 reissue Stratocaster. Wow, aquamarine blue. It's actually, you know what it is. What? If I hold it, it's I'm colorblind, but I, I know this because it's on the label. It's seafoam green. <laughs> that's what it is. I am obsessed. Lovely. Well, I do love the idea also of you describing your ADD as making you live in the present. It's what everybody's told they ought to do. Yeah. Again, you can see it as an advantage rather than a disadvantage. I think that's right. However, what I'm beginning to understand about the condition is, it's, for me anyway, it might be different for everybody else who has it, but it's a bit like I, I'm lacking a bit of 3D thinking. Mm. So I'm not good at diaries. I'm not good at, I'm, I'm certainly not good at like, when my wife's trying to describe to me how if we could have, if we save up and we afford the, the kitchen extension, what it'll look like, I'm like, sorry, it's like, this is like Sanskrit to me. <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. We'll knock through here. We'll build down there. It'll look like this. I'm like, you're wasting your time. I don't understand it. So, you know, the ADD medication, I'm hoping, <laughs> it might just put in a little bit of that structure and make me think, you know, because it's a really useful thing, especially in your business and my business to go, well, if I work really hard at this, or if I take this opportunity, it could take me here, mm. and then I could do this, you know, and I don't have that capacity whatsoever, which is yeah. one thing I would like to have. Well, it can be an advantage, it can be a curse. Yeah, 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 I bet, I bet. I'll come back to you next year and let you know it's going. Okay, all right. When I'm, when I'm a captain of industry, you know, if I'm on this ADD medication, I could be like the new Bill Gates next year. <laughs> I might even be able to get myself back on Twitter. You know, I might be, might be able to work out my two-step authentication by then. <laughs> All right, Sean. I'm going to put those parties from 1991 into brilliant. the time capsule. How brilliant. I wish I'd been there. Oh, yeah. So it. let's move on to number three. Right, time to make some space in this podcast for the possibility of adverts and maybe a mention of our sponsor. Bear with us. This is how a podcast pays its way. We'll be back before you can hit plus 15 seconds. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back. Thanks for your support. Let me repay you with the rest of the things that the delightful Sean Keaveney would like to put in his time capsule. Well, let's have a think. I'm going to put um, Easdale Tarn in the Lake District. Right, yeah. It's, uh, is that all right? Can I yeah, do I do know it, actually. Do you? I do, yeah. I went there, strangely enough, <laughs> on a, a school trip. But, yeah. yeah. I was involved in a – well, I was a good boy at school, Sean. In fact, that's what they thought. Uh, but I was very good at making myself look good. And as a result, I was invited to go on a trip to that area of the Lake District with um, as a good boy, but sort of filtered into the group of all the bad boys who were being taken with the idea that them going off and seeing the countryside and having a nice trip might make them good. Uh, so I was put in there so that they might be fooled into thinking it wasn't just the bad boys. <laughs> Where did it go? Well, it turned out, of course, that I was just as bad as them. Yeah, so yeah, in fact, yeah. They, they completely just went, you're like us, aren't you? And like, yeah, come on, what should we do? Let's come on, let's, let's go. You down went the- native, didn't you? You, you were oh. like the, 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 the policeman that's sent in to infiltrate, and then you turn... I did. You turn into one of the crims. <laughs> I turned a gangster, yeah. <laughs> in fact, one of the most memorable moments of my life, we stayed in a youth hostel, of course, and walking up this yeah. very long drive, all these boys in platform boots, dragging suitcases behind them, going, where the bloody hell is this place? And uh, as we came up over the crest of the hill, the lawn outside of the youth hostel yeah. was completely covered in about 500 Swedish schoolgirls. What? And I was... 15 at the time. My God, what a memory. Yep. I bet they thought you were all quite interesting as well, didn't they? Well, there were only about 25 of us, so yeah, we were the only boys there were. What a memorable time that was, I imagine. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, come on, tell me why it's memorable to you. Well, it's funny that you just, not for the, this isn't why I put it in, but, but you've reminded me that the first experience I had of the lakes was like 1987. I was, I was 15. This must have been a thing that schools did then. 
obviously. Mm. We're not that far off each other's age, really. We got sent on a geography field trip to uh, Ambleside, and we stayed in Ambleside Youth Hostel. And uh, that was another, that was an awakening moment for me as well, because it was the best thing in the world. The two guys who were in charge, Mr. Mitchell and Mr. <laughs> Broxholm, the geography teachers, were, let's describe them as laissez-faire <laughs> when it came to uh, child protection, right? They didn't give a shit. And they were great as well. Mr. Broxholm was this uh, Geordie kind of guy like that. Uh, Keeping the uh, read uh, section four about Ogadugo and about uh, Oxbow Lakes, man. <laughs> and it was brilliant. And I, I remember it so well because in it was 1987 and we were halfway up. It wasn't Easdale Tarn this time. It was some other thing, some other bloody mountain. And we got halfway up it. And Mr. Mitchell, so the turn round just started singing it was 20 years ago today Sergeant Pepper told his band to play and he was like lads ladies why is today special and we were like no no because he's coming up like up a mountain because it was 20 years ago today that Sergeant Pepper was released the greatest album of all time wow and I was like this guy's pretty cool actually because I Mm. was into the Beatles by that point and that was it that was ace and then to make it even better we walked around Ambleside Town Centre in pairs with um, a clipboard, and we were we were supposed to be interviewing local <laughs> tourists to ask them why the you know why have you come into Ambleside Town Centre? Did you drive? Did you take public transport? So we dutifully did that. But then what what me and three of my mates did? We bought whoopee cushions and we spent an hour doing that, and then we spent the rest of the afternoon standing in, in front of like jewelry shop windows next to it. it elderly people and letting off the <laughs> letting off these massive sort of cavernous farts and then watching watching people's reactions it was a bit like a bad beatles about and so that was the funniest thing that had ever happened in our lives it possibly is and I, I don't think i don't think i bested that in anything i've done comedy wise since <laughs> and and then that night we, uh, mr mitchell mr broxon went to the pub and they dropped us off outside an off license and said, we'll, <laughs> uh, we'll see you back at the uh, youth hostel at 10 p.m. Don't be late. That was it. And mm. we, so we all, we all bought cans of tenant super and went and sat, uh, you know, on this big playground in the middle of Ambleside and got absolutely drunk and uh, all started trying to feel each other up. <laughs> and, and it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. And I think ever since then, I've just, uh, that it was like, this is my spiritual home. And so I go to the Lake District all the time, you know, whenever, and it's hard, of course, living in bloody London mm. to do it sometimes, especially with the train system. Now, has it, has it been run to the ground by the Conservatives? I, 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 that's only my opinion, of course, listeners. <laughs> it's uh, a good opinion. <laughs> I don't know if it's a, you know, popular, but this is what I think. Um, I but, think you know, it is at the moment. I think everybody yeah, agrees with you. I know. Who could not agree with that? Um, so, yeah, I get, I just love, it it, regener- it re- regenerates my spirit. And uh, I was having a really rough time about a year ago. And my wife very, very kindly said, I was going up north for some work thing. She said, you know what? Why don't you have a weekend to yourself in the lakes? And that was such a great gift she gave me. And 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 so one afternoon, it was November, you know, and it was, it, it was the weather was relatively clement, but it was very cold. And so I just got up in the morning, put my walking boots on, uh, staying in Grasmere, and I just walk, you just walk out of the back of Grasmere and there's Easdale Town. You just walk up this very long road and mm. then it becomes a path and then it becomes a stream and then it becomes a mountain. And it's not, it's one of the little ones really. And I get lost very easily. 
so I can't I can't really be trusted to go up any big mountains on my own. I have to take a Sherpa with me. <laughs> but but Easdale Town's the one that I can do on my own. Yeah. So I just I just walk up there. And I just remember standing at the bottom of there's this huge waterfall that comes down and, and a bridge that goes over it. And I was sort of straddling this stream, looking up at what was a waterfall. And I was I got a bit cosmic, Michael. You know, I was like, I'm just I'm taking in the energy of the mountain i'm taking in the energy of the waterfall and i'm breathing it into my soul and i'm going to take it back home with me and it's going to give me strength and it did and, it, and i take the kids up there and we had this one incredible moment four years ago and there was a heat wave uh, and it was before my youngest was born and me and my two boys who were about six and nine at the time it was the hottest day of the year and it's hardly ever hot in the lakes mm. we got up to this tarn and it was like do you want to get in yeah and they just took all the clothes off jumped in the tarn oh. and it was like that's it you're going to remember that for the rest of your life you know yeah so for that reason bang i wanted in the time capsule fantastic yes i will but i'll also down at the bottom i'll put a a friendly geography teacher because <laughs> let's face it they all were and yeah. every one of them i remember it very well i did uh, a level geography and oh. and most of it we learnt while sitting in the pub with the geography teacher did you? Yeah. <laughs> get your books out. I'll get your pint of bitter. <laughs> it's very true. Great people. So we've only got two left, I'm afraid, Sean. Mm, mm. You've got one more you want to keep and one you want to put in there and forget. Okay. So one more that I want to keep. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, this is ephemeral and this is uh, difficult to define as well, but I still want to try and do it. And it's just like a, a few memories like of my children when the little... Um, like just little snapshots, just mm. little two minute snapshots of exactly what they were like when they were like two and five and eight, just a little album of that because, and I know you sort of can do that if you're an organized person. Of course, I've got about 34,000 photographs on my laptop, mm-hmm. most of which I'll probably never see again because that's the nature of it, isn't it? It just yeah, sits yeah. there on a hard drive and I'm very disorganized and I never get round to things. And and also, as I've mentioned before, my memory is just just so cripplingly poor that I don't remember things. I, I I actually got really worried. I got COVID. In, I got I was an early adopter of COVID in 2020. I got it for Christmas, and it was a bad one. And uh, consequently, I couldn't. I got locked in the bedroom for ten days, and uh, I didn't see the kids or anything. It was awful. And you sent it sent me in a bit of a tailspin. And uh, while sitting there feverish, not able to sleep and cramping and everything, you know, worrying because back in 2020 and not had the, you know, there were it was before the the, the vaccines and everything. I was like, mm. am I going to die? Yeah, is this is this you know I can't breathe properly? What's going on? And I started because you have nothing else to do after you've watched a few films and stuff. Uh, I was getting really worried about my memory. I was like, so bad. Like I don't have the kind of access to memory that most people have. So. Not everybody's got a great memory, that's fair to say. But like my brother, he can, it's almost like you can say, do you remember that Christmas 1989? And he'll say, yeah. And then she walked in. Do you remember my mom? She was wearing that red jumper. And then my dad said, you know, he's got, it's like he's, it's like a film that he can go back and rewind and watch. And mm-hmm. my, I've got none of that. It's completely bizarre. But that's the way I am. And so for that reason, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. I'd love to have implanted in my mind like Total Recall some snapshot moments of the kids when they were at, at these specific times in their life. You know, I, I try and I sit there, especially now with my youngest, cause she's three, because I'm more aware of it now. 
and it's like um, it's a bit disabling because when something really cute's happening, I'm sort of trying to watch and mem- memorize, trying to memorize, trying to s- suck it all in, yeah, yeah, get it on the hard drive, and it's almost like, ironically, that's the thing that's taking you out at the moment really <laughs> it's sort of like please remember this she's being unbelievably cute those things don't last do no they? they do something for about two or three weeks they have a way of saying something or they have a little habit that they have and then suddenly it's gone yeah and actually those little moments are incredibly precious aren't they i should get this for my wife this is a great idea because she's got one of those extraordinary memories She's a doctor of science, my wife. So we watched University Challenge last night, and she should have been on it. She absolutely wiped the floor with both teams, instantly (laughs) answering question after question after question. Extraordinarily broad and amazing knowledge, including all the science things that are gobbledygook to everyone else. And yet, if you say to her, do you remember when we were on that holiday and we went to, which holiday was that? Yeah. She can't even remember the holiday. That's interesting. Mm. And I wonder if, in fact, she's put all that information in her head and it's driven all the other memories out. You know, there's only room for a certain amount. Yeah, a bit like your laptop. And you look at the bar that tells you how much memory and what it's all used for. This is what I think. It's like my my brain is like maybe two superpowers. I'm really, <laughs> I, I'm really brilliant at, the, at my job. I've got a really good ear for music, for instance. And, and so once I've heard a song a few times, I, it's like I can hear it on multi-track and, and isolate the tracks and I can hear them, the harmonies and I can hear the guitar line. And I, can, you know, and I know that not all people have got that right. So that's, no. but that's, that must be, I've not chosen for that to be how my brain memory is used, but that's how it's wired. And like your mm. life, uh, you're right. I wonder if that's the way, because of the because of our wiring, we haven't got access to some of those more day-to-day things. Yeah. And and the, the, the doctor that I went to for my diagnosis, I, I said this to him, I said, is bad memory or poor long-term recall, is that a thing that you get? And he said, well, yes, it is, because when you have deficit disorder, it's not going on the tape very well. Right. Because you're, you have this distraction, this this mind that doesn't settle. And so, you know, it could be, that could be part of it. But mm. for that reason, I get, I get a bit upset sometimes. Like my mom and dad have got incredible memory. And so they replace it for me sometimes. They say, do you remember when Arthur and Wilf sang Another One Bites the Dust? And they remember everything in, in absolute clarity, you know. Mm. And it makes me a bit sad because I just can't access it. I haven't got that access. So my little, little book of kids' memories, I definitely would want to put in there, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, what a lovely thing to put in. I think we all would like that because I know that with you it's a particular problem, but I think we all have those moments that unless you're reminded of them, they do drift away. Yeah. I remember my grandchildren much better than I remember my own Uh, children. Yeah, okay. I think you've got other things to do when you're a parent. Yeah. With a grandchild, you're concentrating on them. Yeah, that's what my mum and dad are like because they're recently retired, so they're they're not bombing about, they're not thinking about seven other things. They are present. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that we aren't with our kids, you know, and it's an awful feeling for me. I, I just feel like I'm failing on multiple fronts a lot of the time and trying to work and trying to keep the kids alive at the same time. And you're just existing. You're not really, this is an amazing moment with these great people. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame, isn't it? Well, but I think it's a universal experience. Yeah. So when you have grandchildren, you'll have time. I've just got to live. I've just got to keep living. Keep Michael. living. <laughs> Okay, Sean, so finally, it's something you want to put in there so you can forget it. Okay. A caveat and an apology before I do this. 
because this is not a political podcast. This is not what it's about. It's about fun. It's about love. Uh, it's about, you know, inclusion and remembrance and all those wonderful things. The best things about being a human. I don't want to drag it down. However, I can't think of anything else that I would rather bury and forget about than the, the conservative cabinet at the moment. I would love to create, a, you know, a, a comfortable living space for them. Seven, 70 <laughs> feet underground. You know, I'm not, I'm, I don't mean bury them alive or anything, you know, sort of grisly like that. I don't want anybody to die. Of course I don't. I'm not a monster. <laughs> But I would love to create um, a comfortable underground network for some of the most mendacious and damaging people of the last century in this country who have done untold and terrifying damage to my children and my grandchildren's futures. Um, I've, I hold no quarter for them. I don't have any forgiveness in my heart for them. I'm sorry to say um, I despise everything that they stand for and everything that they've done and will do and the damage that they continue to do. So I'm going to make this beautiful place. I and mean, it's like a palace down there. It's gorgeous. I mean, in a way, I feel envious for them because of the, the great food, um, <laughs> wonderful oxygen uh, supply. You know, I'll, I'll get a couple of swimming pools down there for them. I don't want them to suffer in any terrible way. I just want them to be away from good humans uh, where they can't do any more damage. And I want them to stay down there uh, forever. <laughs> now, maybe we could create an illusion where, oh, yeah. in fact, they think that they're tussling with each other for power and who's going to be in charge, who's going to get the best job. And it's all one great game of politics that they're playing down there. And we can set up that room with the podiums. We can set that up for them with flags and everything to show how much they love the country. And, and every day they have to come out and make announcements for the nation. Yes. Which, which are, so, you know, and everybody tells them how brilliant they were and how important they are. And then we can also have a fake bunch of very important and very wealthy and influential people who say, if you push this policy, uh, when you finish being uh, Minister for Toilets, <laughs> I'm going to put you in this position that's going to earn you an incredible amount of money. But don't tell anyone. Yes. We can create this world for them. So they, in fact, they'll be perfectly happy there. This is a film. This is like the Truman <laughs> Show 2023, That what you've just created here, but for our worst political class. You're right. I don't want them to suffer. I just don't want them to make everybody else suffer, which is what they've been doing for 12 years. And that's a great idea. A Truman Show, underground. And it's huge, you know, and, and very comfortable, but they're out of our way completely. And, and they've got, it's like a, a, a netherworld of these terrible people, uh, or like, like a Machiavellian netherworld. It's great, but they're out of our hair mm. and we can start to rebuild and we can, we can start to progress. And, and stop these this this backbiting and this infighting and this culture war bullshit that they've been trying to push on us for years now. That's a great idea. It's a little bit like what you've just said reminds me a bit of that that idea in physics, which is gaining a bit of prominence. Which is there are some physicists that really believe that it's possible that some alien civilizations will be so far advanced from us that it's possible that we're, we're just part of a computer simulation created by a very advanced civilization. And they're just sitting and watching and saying, that's interesting, isn't it? Look, you think that they're going to look after each other because that would, that yeah. would be the sensible way to behave. Yeah. But in fact, oh, look, they're just out for themselves. That's brilliant. Yeah.
what would happen if we imposed something called Brexit <laughs> on a country? What would happen then? <laughs> well, let's just sit back and watch what happens. So, you know, it's a great thought. I've written a character. He's an absolute buffoon, <laughs> a liar and a cheat, yeah. but he's had every advantage in life. Uh, what shall I call him? Mm, let me think now. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that that's what I would like to do. That's what I'd like to I'd like to very comfortably and very safely bury the cabinet and put them in their own Machiavellian underworld where they'd be very happily tearing each other apart, but not us. Do you know, Sean, what I like about this podcast, and uh, I have to say this to the credit of the listeners, is that I get messages from people who say, mm, I don't agree at all with you on your political point of view, but I quite like the podcast. And you think, so, oh, that's well, great. The people can sit through what we've just yes. been doing because we clearly agree with each other. But there are people who will disagree with us. And yeah. the fact that they have the ability to sit and listen to that and then go, hmm, here they go again. Oh, well, yeah. that gives me hope. That's really exactly what we need, isn't it? To be able to sit with each other in, di- in the discomfort of knowing that we we have diametric opinions sometimes, yeah. but without tearing each other apart. Absolutely. That's where we need to get back to, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. We have to be willing to listen to other people's points of view. And I've got to say that to myself because I can be terrible at that. <laughs> My New Year's resolution is to do that more. <laughs> Brilliant. Sean, what an absolute joy to talk to you. Listen, Michael, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege to be part of it. Uh, it's a very, it's a venerable and fantastic institution already, this. So I feel great to be part of it. Bless you. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Sean Keaveney. Thanks for listening. Do feel free to rate or review this podcast before you move on to other, probably more important things in your life. If you want to save time, then do just click on the subscribe button, and then we, or rather Acast, will send you all new episodes when they come out, straight to your podcast app, so you can choose when and where you want to listen to them. If you're interested in my time capsule, or even me, then why not follow us both on social media, where you can find out what we're up to, what's coming up, and other things that may surprise you. I mean, recently I've been posting lots of pictures of my dining room. Well, I spend a lot of time in there at this time of year. I know it's not life-changing, but it might help you if you're planning to burgle my house. My son, John Fenton Stevens, is the skillful producer of this podcast, so if you detect anything classy about it, it's all down to him. He also wrote and performed the deceptively complicated theme tune that you can hear playing in the background, which you can listen to without me interrupting it by downloading it or streaming it on Spotify. Those of you who listen to this name chat regularly, you can get help, you know, will know that it's cleverly called the My Time Capsule theme tune. So it should be easy to find, and I very much doubt anyone else would have recorded anything with that name. This was a cast-off production, by the way. Nope, even I don't know what that means. Okay, see you very soon for some more lovely guests. I mean, I know it can't go on forever. Nothing lasts forever. Not even me. I'm beginning to feel my age these days. I get winded playing chess. Apparently, regular naps help to prevent old age. Especially if you take them when you're driving. Bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.